We decided to do a series in Romans this summer just because it is a... Romans is this book that's chock full of really, really good stuff. Uh, it's not that easy to understand sometimes, and so we thought we'd kind of unpack it. I want to thank Ben for preaching last week. Thank you so much. I hear good things, and so it's nice to be away. We, uh, we had a chance to go to Texas, and um, that was hot and nice and wonderful, and so we're happy to be back where it's also hot and nice and wonderful. Great. Okay. Now, I've got kids, you all probably know that I had four daughters, they played sports, they play sports, that kind of thing, and a couple of years ago, Janelle, it was her senior year of high school, she was playing volleyball, Elise, uh, our youngest, was playing soccer, and those of you who are um, sports parents understand, or if you're band parents or whatever, you know that sometimes if you have more than one kid, you have to be at two places, and, and so Miriam went to be with Elise, and I was heading down to watch Janelle play volleyball. Her senior year was kind of one of those things, so... Uh, as I was traveling down, it was in uh, Michigan, um, as I was traveling, uh, I was, you know, in my little Civic, I had a Civic at the time, I was, you know, jamming to probably Barry Manilow, oh Mandy, I mean, I was bringing it, and I remember singing, and all of a sudden, I'm in the right-hand lane, because I wasn't passing, uh, that's a, a really good advice to all of you, uh, having driven a thousand miles to Texas and back, if you're not passing, get out of the left lane. Uh, I want to say that to you. And that's from Jesus. Yeah, that's not me. Jesus wants you to know that. Okay. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm driving in the right lane because I'm not passing somebody. Somebody is passing me. Now, you, you have to understand, I'm driving, I'm here. You know, you, when you drive, you're driving. And there's a guy here. And, and there's a casino there. You can kind of see a big sign. I forget what the name of the casino was. Evidently, the guy beside me wanted to go to the casino, and the exit was here. And the little issue of me being in between him and the exit didn't seem to bother him very much, because he turned hard. Now, um, I've watched a little NASCAR. Not much. I'm not a NASCAR geek, but I've watched enough to know that if a guy's coming in your lane, you turn, right? I turned kind of hard because I didn't want to get hit. And that's when my car decided to leave the highway. Now, it is true that things slow down because I can remember this. It was really slow. Uh, Not the speed. I was going about 70. But I remember uh, exiting the highway. I remember launching into space, sort of. I remember thinking to myself, I see leaves in front of me, directly in front of me. That means I'm going to hit something, probably a tree. I'm calculating all this. I had a wedding that afternoon. The first thing I thought of was, I wonder who's going to do that wedding now. (laughs) Because it's not going to be me. I'm about to hit a tree. You know, it's kind of what I'm thinking. Now, um, it was really cool because the leaves I saw were, it was a bush, And basically, it felt as if God sort of took my car and set me in a bush. It was almost a Moses moment, honestly. Um, The bush didn't catch fire, but it could have because my car was hot. And and there I was, just sort of sitting in the middle of a bush. And it was was a great moment for me, really. It was really kind of cool. Now, when you wreck, it shakes you up. And those of you who've had wrecks, you understand. It shook me up a bit. And, and people stopped. It was really nice. People stopped. And this one sweet lady ran up and she said, are you okay? And I said, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just fine. I, you know, nothing. It was nothing. The airbag didn't even go off. It was great. 
my car was totaled, but, but I, was, I just did great. And so she said, well, do we need to call somebody? I said, yeah, I probably ought to call my wife. So the lady's standing there, and I call Miriam. If I'm lying, I'm dying. This absolutely happened. I said, hey, honey, I just had a wreck. And the lady says, and I'm okay. <laughs> like, like I needed help, you know, expressing that I'm okay. And I said, and I'm okay, you know. Uh, uh, the, the point of it is this. I, I don't know that I fully appreciated my salvation. Because I just got saved. The thing I should have done is open the door, fall on my face before God and thanked Him, really. I mean, it was remarkable. When you're going 70 miles an hour and you leave the highway and you hit something, typically that's bad. I mean, often there are people who are dying every day from that very thing of leaving the highway and hitting something. And I guess I just didn't appreciate completely my salvation. And in a spiritual sense, I'm not sure that we always appreciate our salvation. We're going to kind of talk about that today. Um, There are some people who don't know they need to be saved. This is a guy named Dr. Francis Collins. He is currently the director of National Institutes of Health. At one time, he was, uh, he was the head of the Human Genome Project. Guy is brilliant. He got a Ph.D. And then, uh, in science, and then he decided he was going to get an M.D. because he wanted to help people. He was a complete agnostic, didn't believe in God at all. Um, and yet, he began to work with uh, folks in the South, good old people like us, and he began to see in them a sort of a, a confident faith that he didn't possess. It was sort of foreign to him. And so he he would talk to these people, and and much less educated than he. I mean, this guy is one of the biggest, uh, most uh, exquisite brains on the planet. I mean, he's one of these guys that just knows lots of stuff. But one lady asked him one time, Dr. Collins, what's going to happen to you when you die? Because they kind of had faith, and they knew it, and they were dealing with real health issues, walking through it with faith. And it got him to think, and he didn't know. I mean, he was, he was clueless. He, he knew lots of stuff. He just didn't know the answer to that particular question. And so he began to study. Uh, that's what smart people do. They look at stuff. And he began to look at stuff. And he looked at the Bible, and he began to read a guy named C.S. Lewis. And he came to faith in Christ. He didn't really know he needed to be saved until he realized he needed to be saved. Today we're going to talk about the most important thing that can happen to any person. <laughs> That's being saved. Now, I was saved physically, but I was also saved spiritually many, many years ago. And so we were looking at this amazing book called Romans, and the, the whole book is about how Paul wants to talk to people about being saved. Now, if you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, we did kind of some background stuff. Paul is a guy, he becomes a follower of Jesus, didn't, wasn't really looking for that. Uh, he had a great experience with God, he becomes a follower of Jesus, and then he begins to plant churches. And he plants churches and he writes letters to churches. And this is a particular church he didn't plant, but he wanted to go to. So he writes them a letter saying, hey, I'm coming, I, I'd like you to know I'm, I'm on my way, or I, I, I want to come there eventually. And the reason I'm coming is because I want to, you know, uh, I want to share my spiritual gifts with you, I want to receive your spiritual gifts toward me, and then I want you to help me on a mission further, I want to go to Spain, is what he basically, is what this letter's about. But it's this amazing theological work of 
he talks about a ton of different things about how you know uh, the the nature of man and and uh, the nature of how you know God and that sort of thing and, and he unpacks all this in this letter which really kind of reads more like a, a theological treatise than it does a letter and so in it we, we talked about this last time I was here but we're going to look at a couple of verses he says for uh, this is kind of the key this is the linchpin of the whole letter. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness, righteousness, by the way, is just being right with God. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, we talked about a few weeks ago that God is a strategic thing. Even the way the Bible's constructed is strategically it's strategic. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're the Gospels, right? Matthew's first because it introduces Jesus. It has a genealogy. If you've not read that, uh, it's, it's interesting, but for those of us who aren't Jews, it's not that big a deal. But for a Jewish person, that's a big deal, the whole genealogy thing. And so Matthew was strategically placed first in the New Testament because it transitions nicely for a Jewish mind from the Old Testament to the New. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all talk about Jesus. Acts talks about the establishment of the church. It makes sense. You, you, uh, you talk about Jesus, you talk about the establishment of the church, and then you have these letters. Now, Romans is first, not because it's chronologically first, but because it is largest and most important. It's like the most important of the letters. It's the, the biggest. It has the biggest content. It has the most powerful content. And in this particular letter... You see that that Paul says, "Hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel." Now, you'll recall that the culture then wasn't pro-Christian; it wasn't even pro-Jew, especially to the Romans. The Romans were powerful; they were uh, they had an emperor named Nero. Nero didn't he didn't think much of Jewish people; he didn't think much of Christian people. And so, it wasn't like Paul was writing to a and into an environment where everybody was sort of for them. In fact, the culture was against them. It was antithetical to Christianity. They, they, didn't, they kind of thought Christianity was a cult. And it was into this environment that he writes this letter. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, understand something. The, the Romans believed there was... A, a pantheon of gods, many, many gods. And so you'd pray to this God for this and this God for that. And they were cool with you as long as you didn't say there was one God. Monotheism, one God, mono, one theism, God. They didn't like monotheism. They were polytheistic. And so as long as you were cool with having lots of gods, they were cool with you. The reason... <laughs> They might have had an issue with Christianity was, was because of what? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's pretty exclusive. He, he, G- Jesus said, you can't go to bunches of other gods. You have to go through me. I'm God. I'm the, the one God. And this is the issue. And the, the reason Paul had a potential of being ashamed. He wasn't. I'm not ashamed. And the reason that today Christianity is uh, uncomfortable for some people 
is because, is, the very reason is because Jesus is very exclusive. He says, I'm the way. That's what he says here. Uh, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. You come to faith in God through Christ. It's pretty exclusive. And, it, and sometimes Jesus, you say the word Jesus to people, and if they're followers of him, uh, it's exciting. And for those who aren't followers, sometimes it's not so exciting. And they don't like the notion that you have to follow Jesus and you have to change your ways and, and you have to become something that you aren't right now. Change is difficult for people. Um, let me give you, a, I'll, I'll illustrate, hopefully, I'll illustrate. Uh, these are prisoners that, that were at the prison camp in Ordruf, Ordruf Germany. Uh, in 19, um, uh, I don't remember, 19, I don't remember when the camp, I don't, it doesn't have here, when, when the, oh, 44. In 1944, about 10,000 individuals were in this prison camp. Now, in 44, uh, there was a, an army regiment that came through. It was the 4th Armored Division of the 85th Infantry. You might know the leader, his name was George Patton. And Patton came through and he liberated, this was the first prison camp that was liberated. Now, when Patton came into town, when Patton liberated the people who were in the prison camp, there were, there were different responses in that area. Now, if you were a prisoner, can you imagine what it feels like to have a savior? To have tanks roll in and you're released and you're fed and you're treated well and and you have new life? I mean, can you imagine the joy of being a prisoner in a prison camp and Patton rolls through and, and it's, he's the Savior. I mean, he's the one. Can you imagine what it was like for the Germans in Ordruf, Germany, who had imprisoned the Jews and the gypsies and all the outcasts? Can, can you imagine? Because what Patton did was he made the people, the townspeople, come into the prison camp and bury the dead. And can you imagine the discomfort that caused? And Patton's explanation was, I want you to see what you were doing. To, to, to some people, Patton was, was the greatest thing ever. To other people, townspeople, not so much. Paul uses this same sort of language in 2 Corinthians. In Rome, Rarely did the, the army get to come into Rome. The army hardly ever got to come into Rome because they were afraid the army was so powerful that if they came into town, they might take over. Uh, a coup, they might just take over. And so the Romans made sure that the Roman army didn't get to come into town except on a rare occasion when they had a great victory. Uh, it was called a Roman triumph. That's what it was called. It was a big parade. And the army would march through and there would be people on chariots and there would be folks behind them and, and they would uh, bring this, uh, this big incense burner. I, I thought about doing that here. Uh, ben, I even practiced it yesterday. Then I noticed the uh, smoke detectors and uh, so I opted not to go with the incense. But it would have been cool. We'd had incense in here and uh, it would have been awesome, but we didn't do it. But anyway, the guy would be in front and he would be waving this incense thing and there's a smell that would emanate. They would be burning myrrh or frankincense or something and they would kind of walk through and this incense would be burning and they'd also, in the parade, would be parading the people that they had captured. Now, now look at 
You want to get the picture? You got the picture? I want to show you a text. Thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. What's that a picture of? A Roman triumph. Christ has taken us captive with his love. And he parades us in front of the world. Now, he sees us, uh, he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet-smelling perfume, like an incense burner. Look at this, look at this. Our lives are Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. Some people who smelled the, the myrrh, the, the frankincense of the triumph. Well, the people who were victorious smelled it as wonderful. The captives, the, the ones who were about to go to the Colosseum for execution, not so much. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. It's just, once you understand what it was, you understand the picture better. Um, Jesus is offensive to some. And so Paul said, hey, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed, but understand something. He is going to be offensive to some. Even in our world today, Jesus is offensive to some folks. But the big idea is God alone has the power and the plan to save everyone. He has the power and the plan to save everyone. Now, uh, today, instead of doing incense, I thought I would bring a ladder on stage. So here's our ladder, and I'm going to set it up. Somebody asked me if this meant we were uh, Church of the Latter-day Saints, but no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Although I did think that was funny. All right. Basically, basically, oops. Oh, go back. It's thinking. I don't want it to think. Can you make it go back? Oh, golly. Oh, wow. Okay. I'll go slow. All right. Two different ways people attempt to save their life. One is by performance, by climbing a ladder of success. I need to turn this around so I can climb it. <laughs> like I'm going to do that. Uh, anyway, um, some people want to climb the ladder of performance, and, and some people accept grace. Um, there's this great movie, you know, some of you young people probably don't know it, but there was a movie uh, called uh, Chariots of Fire, and you may not have seen that, but it was about Olympians, and, and there's a great line in this one part of the movie where a, a guy is talking about, he, he's sort of driven to win, and he says this, when that gun goes off, I'll raise my eyes and look down the track and have ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. He, he was banking everything on being somebody on the track in, in a race in the Olympics. The, the problem is, even if you win, our egos are insatiable. Because let's say we climb this step, there's another step. I mean, there's more. There's always more, and it's almost like we can't ever get enough. Research has been done around this, and, and I, I had this slide up. In 1950... 12% of Americans considered themselves to be a very important person. The question was asked, do you consider yourself a very important person? 12% of Americans in 1950. Now, they did, the, again, this, um, asked this same question recently. And um, uh, 65 years later, do you think it has gone up or down? All right. 
Today it's 80%. Um, we, we see it in, in education as well. Look at this. In 1966, 19% of all high school students had a GPA of A or A-19%. Today, it's 63%. 150% improvement. But w- would you, do you think there's 150% improvement in how we feel about ourselves or in, in um, uh, happiness around this? We, we're driven, but we're driven to the wrong things at times. I've got to succeed. I have to make a name for myself. I've got to put something on top of this ladder that if I achieve this, whatever this is, and it could be lots of different things. For some people, it's achievement. Um, whatever I put at the top of the ladder, that's what I devote my life to. It, it could be many things. It, it could be um, how you look. Uh, it could be... Uh, uh, how successful you are, how much money you have, where you live, what you drive. It, it could be what you advocate for. It could, it could be just about anything. And whatever you put at the top of the ladder, that's what you're devoted to. And that's the problem. Now, now look at this. Tim Keller says, sin is taking a good thing, any good thing, a relationship, anything, and making it the ultimate thing. Because when we put something on top of this ladder and we think that we can achieve some sort of connection with God because we achieve that, we're, we're misguided. We're misguided. Um, there's this amazing text in Jeremiah. Uh, let's talk about it in just a second. One of the problems with sin is that it gets inside me, and I'm not even aware of it. It gets inside me, and I'm not even aware of it. Um, let me show you this text. Oh, I, this is one of my go-to's. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? There's an old story. This is one of those old stories, old preacher stories, and I'm going to tell you anyway um, because last time I told you an old story, you laughed and you were gracious, and so I uh, expect the same today. Um, I had this dream. I go to heaven. On the walls of heaven are these what look like clocks. Everybody has a clock. So Ben has a clock, uh, Pastor Cliff has a clock, everybody has a clock, right? And I, I'm noticing that the clocks are kind of, they're kind of moving, but not at the same time. And so I asked St. Peter, I, hey, what, what are those? And he, he tells me, he informs me, those are sonometers. Sonometers. And however, t- every time you sin, it moves. And I'll watch Ben's for a while, and it was moving, you know. Not all the time. Uh, it wasn't all the time, it was a little bit. And I saw Pastor Cliff's, and it was kind of going pretty fast. I've seen some of yours and everything. And, and I noticed, I saw my wife's not moving. <laughs> Strategery. Uh, anyway, um, I, but I don't see one for me. So I say, St. Peter, does this mean what I think it means? Like, I, I don't even sin anymore? You took the sonometer down? He said, no, that's in the kitchen. We're using it as a fan. Um, <laughs> Oh, good, you laughed. Oh, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. The problem with sin is that I see yours a lot easier than I see mine. I, 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 can, I can detect when you sin much easier than I can detect when I sin. Uh, my buddy Mike Osborne, not Mike Wilson, the one I always got in trouble with. I only got in trouble with Mike Wilson, uh, I mean, like every day. Mike Osborne, not so much. But basically, the, the premise of the story is don't, uh, don't hang out with Mike's. But anyway, Mike Osborne... My buddy Mike, 
we were, I, I forget, 12, 13 years old. We were down at the train tracks, and we were throwing rocks at the, uh, at the train cars. <laughs> Evidently, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, because a guy came up behind us, like a train employee, and he just, he, he caught us. And he quizzed us. Who are you, and who, where you live, and... Man, we were telling him everything, you know, uh, you know I was telling my shoe size, I did it, whatever he wanted to know. And I, I, I think about that every time I go back to Danville, uh, where, where my mom lives and where I grew up, you'll, we have a, a kind of a bridge that goes over the train tracks. And I, I still remember that story. I still remember the day that Mike and I were out there throwing rocks at the cars, train cars. What I don't remember is the millions of other times I sinned and lied, and I mean, how many times have I told an untruth, and how many times have I uh, said something to make myself look better than I actually needed to? And what I sometimes fail to realize is that God sees all of it. Not, not just the time I threw rocks at the train cars, but every time I've lied or stolen or every time I've sinned. He, he is, he's seen them all. And, and so my ladder of success, how, how can I undo all that? That's kind of the question. And Paul gives the answer. It's the power of God that brings salvation. It's not the power of me. It's not the power of what I can do. People use, I, I talk to people all the time, you know, uh, I've been baptized, so I know I'm going to heaven, or, I, or I've, um, I read the Bible, or I come to church sometimes, or I, I give money to church. Those are all great things, but that's not what, that's trying to climb a ladder. It's not about climbing a ladder. It could be anything. It could be, you know, I, I recycle, I, I use paper, not plastic, I drive a Prius. I'm not nearly as bad as somebody else. We always pick somebody that's worse than us. Or we think we have the right ideology. I'm a Democrat, or I'm a Republican, or I'm, a, I'm an Independent, or I'm a Libertarian, or whatever it might be. And the problem with trying to climb a ladder is whatever you put here isn't enough. You, you can, can't recycle enough. You can't be good enough. Because their standard is just too high. God said, be perfect, as I'm perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. It's just too tall. It's too much. We just can't do it. And into this void, this inability that we have to save ourselves, Christ comes. It's called grace. Remember we had two ways of salvation. You can kind of earn it for yourself, or at least you can try. Or you can receive this gift of grace. See, Grace isn't a ladder I climb up. It's a ladder Jesus came down. It's not something I achieve. It's something I receive. And this offer of being forgiven and receiving a new start and a purpose in life and hope beyond death and a relationship with God, it's just free. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's not a reward you get for something you've done. And Jesus told stories about this all the time. You should read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because Jesus is telling stories about how God works and how the kingdom works. And it's not about what you do. It's about what you receive. 
Philip Yancey had a book, has a book out called What's So Amazing About Grace? And he illustrates this. I'm going to read it for you. The Boston Globe's account of a June 1990 uh, most unusual wedding banquet goes like this. Accompanied by her fiancé, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston. Again, this is 1990. And ordered the meal for their reception, wedding reception. The two of them poured over the menu, made selections of china and silver, pointed to pictures of flower arrangements they liked. They both had expensive tastes, and the bill came to $13,000. That's 25 years ago. It would be about $40,000 today. After leaving a check for half the amount, the down payment, the couple went home, flipped through the book of wedding announcements. Now, the day the announcements were supposed to hit the mail, the potential groom got cold feet. Ladies, I, I know there's a chill right now in the air. I'm not just sure, he said. It's a big commitment. Let's think about it a little while longer. A couple days later, he broke off the engagement altogether. When his angry ex-fiancé returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, the event manager could not have been more understanding. The same thing happened to me, honey, she said, and told the story in her own broken engagement. However, about the refund, I've got some bad news. The contract is binding. You're only entitled to one-third of it back. So I can give you $1,300 of the original $6,500. But you have two options. You can forfeit the rest of the down payment, or you can go ahead with the banquet. I'm sorry, I really am, but that's the contract. It seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. Ten years before, the same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She had gotten back on her feet, found a good job, set aside a sizable nest egg, and now... uh, She had this wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs in Boston to a night on the town. So it was in June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston had a party such as it has never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the former groom. That's funny. She sent invitations to rescue missions, homeless shelters. And that warm summer night, people who were used to peeling off half-gnawed pizza off cardboard, um, dined and set on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters and tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late to the night. Jesus would tell stories like this. The the kingdom of God is like. And and then he would, it's not for people who think they're good enough. It's for those who realize they're not good enough. Paul puts it this way. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. That means when my sinometer is going crazy, I have an advocate in heaven at the right hand of God who is interceding for me. When you, when your sinometer is going nuts, and, and yours does, when, when your sinometer goes cray, you've got an advocate in heaven sitting at the right hand of God. 
<laughs> that is just the best news. See, the, the primary expression of grace isn't climbing a ladder. It's when somebody goes to the cross and his name is Christ. Now, a cross has two beams. There's a vertical beam. The vertical beam, the one that goes up and down, reminds me that I have a debt I can't pay. The other day I went to Freddy's Hamburgers. Anybody ever been there? Oh, let me give a shout out to Freddy's. Oh, seriously? I'm not even lying. How many of y'all have been there? Oh, see, there's more of you. I'm not going to raise my hand unless he says I'm not lying. Okay, all right, good. Okay, glad you've been there. It's great. It's awesome. We had to wait a while to get our food. I don't know why. It was busy. It wasn't a big deal, but it was delicious. And then this lady came to our table, and she apologized for our wait. I'm thinking, well, it wasn't that big a deal, but thank you. And then she gave me coupons for free Freddy's. I know, can I, get a, can I get a witness? I mean, that is good news. Free, free Freddy's. Now, if you haven't had it, then you don't understand. That, that's, really good, that's really good. Now, she said, the next time you come here, it's on the house. There, there may not be better words in the human language than this is on the house. I, I think th- those are some of the greatest things ever said to me. It's on the house. Now, does that mean it's free? Well, it's free to me, but somebody's got to pay. I mean, somebody's got to pay for the lights at Freddy's. Somebody's got to pay for the beef at Freddy's. Somebody's got to pay for the mustard, the tables. Somebody's paying. It's just not me. It's the manager or the owner or Freddy, whoever he is. Somebody's paying. It's just not me. When I look at the cross and I see the line that goes up and down, I'm thinking, I've got a debt. And it's a big debt. It's a problem. Because it's a debt that I can't pay. Let let me illustrate. There was a guy named William Backus. He's a a psychologist. And he did a study uh, on Americans. And and he he, um, claims that the average American practices deceit in one way or another, body language and outright lie, etc., around 200 times a day. That is, a, we are a bunch of liars in here. I mean, that's crazy how much that is. All right, that's a lot. Now, let's give ourselves a break. Let's say, Mr. Backus, those were obviously not Southern Baptists. He's probably interviewing, you know, people from someplace we don't like. I don't know where that is. Not us. We're better than that. So let's, let's take a different figure. Let's say 10 times a day, 10 sins of some sort a day, lying, cheating, stealing, something, 10 a day. Not too bad. In a year's time, that's 3,650. Uh, Seems like a lot. And um, so every decade, that's about 36,000 sins. And Average life expectancy is, you know, 75, something like that. So I'll give you the first 10 years you didn't sin. Um, but 3,650, that's one year's worth times 65. That's, that's a whole lot of sinning in your lifetime. A uh, quarter million sins, nearly. And for some of you, you're way over that. A uh, quarter million sins. Now, someday... I have to give an accounting of my life. 
how many ladders would you have to climb to overcome a quarter million sins in your life? How many good things would you have to do? How, how perfect would you have to be? That's the whole point. It, it is... It is an insurmountable, it is an incalculable debt that we owe. And in fact, Romans 3 says the wages of sin is death. We, we, we owe more than we can ever pay. Now, that's the bad news. It's like a bad news, good news thing. The good news is the horizontal beam. Because the horizontal beam reminds me that somebody else paid. Jesus said there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Um, Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. And I, I receive this gift of a paid debt I, I'll never be able to pay. I, I owe more than I can ever pay. And Jesus paid it. And he basically gives me a card and he says it's on the house. And he paid it. When he went to the cross, he paid it. We, we watch movies and the movies that we love oftentimes involve a character, kind of a Jesus character, who is willing to lay down his life for his friends. Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I saw that on the other day. I watched a little bit of it. You know, Tom, the Tom Hanks character, kind of the Jesus character in that video, in that film. He gives his life for Private Ryan, who he really doesn't know. Um, one of my favorites is Gran Torino. <laughs> I'd watch the version on television. Uh, it's a little less salty. But Clint Eastwood's character, he, at the end, I mean, you, it's easy to see he's the Jesus character in that particular scene because he offers his life for people unlike him. It's really a pretty beautiful picture, honestly. Jesus... And your life and my life offered his life for people not like him. Because we are sinners and he is not. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because Paul, in his day, this ladder was religion. Religion. And, and he, was, he was at the top of the ladder. He talk, we talked about it last week. He had done everything right religiously. He was a beast at religiosity. And yet it wasn't enough. And he understood it. He came to an understanding it wasn't enough. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. Religious people, hardcore sinner people, to all who believe. I went to a, my daughter's graduation a couple of weeks ago, Miriam and I, and by her name there was a little asterisk, which meant she graduated with honors. Uh, the Latin is cum laude. And so there were some people that got cum laude, and some got magna cum laude, that's like with many honors, and summa cum laude, that's with the greatest honor, you know, the greatest honor. When we go to heaven, nobody gets an asterisk. Nobody struts into heaven. Um, somebody told me the other day, they, they got in, uh, they graduated, um, just, it was, uh, a thank you, good laude. Uh, so not quite the same, but almost the same. 
No, nobody struts in. Nobody gets a, a cum laude or a, gets to wear a tassel. Those are great accomplishments. But we don't do that in heaven. There's one way to get into heaven. His name is Jesus. He died for our sins. That's it. And, and Paul, in this letter, says this is amazing news. And I'm not, I'm proud to tell it to people even though they may not receive it well. Even though they may think there are lots of ways to earn salvation. Even though they may think there are ladders all over the place that you can climb and win God's approval. I'm proud to tell them the truth. The truth is, God made a plan and His name is Jesus. That's the truth. Thank you, Lord, for sending Christ to the cross to take our sins away. Thank you for offering that to anyone and to everyone. We love you and we appreciate what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.